calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Drabble Classics, a fan-hosted series that features fan-picked stories from the Drabblecast archives, remastered and brought to you with new exciting commentary from strange listeners, such as yourself. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Drabble Classics, episode... Uh, insert number here. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Avery Brickles. Was that uh, smooth and creamy enough to count as Norm Sherman's coverage or not? I've been mouthing that intro alongside Norm for years now, albeit in my car while stuck in traffic, so I hope my impression was on point. But no one can replace that slow, creepily sensual voice of his. This week on Drabble Classics, we bring you Dirty Santa by Tim Pratt. This Drabblecast original was first released on December 25th, 2018. And what a Christmas that was. Only two years ago, but it feels like eons. I was living on a Colorado mountainside, blissfully unaware that 2019 was going to be the last normal year we would have in recent history. Yes, we had a humanoid Cheeto as president, but it was a simpler time. Without murder hornets, there was rarely a shortage of toilet paper, and you could eat at the local Applebee's without worrying about murdering poor Nana. Good times. Well, whether you've been naughty or nice this year, strap in for a Christmas miracle or two by listening to Dirty Santa by Tim Pratt. Hello and welcome to The Drabblecast, episode 394. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, 
such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Happy holidays, folks. Whether you're a Christian busting out the myrrh celebrating the birth of a holy baby, an atheist cynically reminding everyone that Christmas has other roots tied in with a riotous week-long pagan celebration called Natalis Solus Invicti, which roughly translates to Birthday of the Invincible Sun God, which who can deny the badassery of that holiday title? Or you're just, you know, beating people up at Walmart for a flat screen. Business as usual. There's another reason we all should naturally want to bust out the lights, menorahs, figgy pudding, whatever lights up your reindeer, and get down this time of the year. One reason that we can all get behind. The winter solstice. The longest effing night of the year. When one of the Earth's poles has its maximum tilt away from the sun. Big deal, you say? I want my presents, gimme, 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 you say? Well, just hold on there a minute, young boys and girls. You know what's worse than getting coal in your stocking for being naughty? A 50% infant mortality rate, an average life expectancy of 33 years, like in the Middle Ages. Starving to death just like your little brother did, Timmy. Freezing your little undescended testicles off in a hut around a small fireplace while your mother wheezes with a mysterious illness and your father weeps silently into his worn, leathery hands after a long, impossibly difficult year on the longest, darkest, coldest night of the year when the small ball of rock you live on, Timmy, is spinning around at an axis that puts you so far from the sun that it can't sustain life. And you are put face to f***ing face, point blank, with the cold, unforgiving cosmos beyond. That's worse than getting coal in your stocking, Timmy. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout, and I'm telling you why. The majority of our shared human existence has been us either trying not to die or us failing at trying not to die every year. The universe doesn't care about you, Timmy, and if you're lucky, you get to endure this hell of an experience for another 23 or so more times around the sun before you die of influenza like your mother will in a few weeks. Santa Claus isn't coming to town for several more centuries, kids. Not in the PlayStation 4 sense. We all have our reasons to celebrate stuff, our own beliefs, and as our story this week will show, our own secret desires, sure. But might I posit that one of the most fundamental reasons for the season that we all share in common is particularly entrenched in our DNA, and that's simply centuries of celebrating enduring misery together and trying to stay alive. We did it! The coldest, darkest, longest night of the year, and the plague, and all these wars and stuff, and I don't, things just are awful, and oh, let's, happy new year! So remember that, folks, when you're stuck in holiday traffic, or endless lines of obnoxious people shopping, or seated next to a screaming baby on the long plane ride to visit your family, or getting your cousin's kids' names mixed up, or enduring your father-in-law talk about politics, or getting up at 5 a.m. to put presents for your bratty kids under a tree that your wife insisted once again be real this year, and that awkward office Christmas party, all of that. Tis the season, bitches. Tis the season. Always has been, always will be. Winter is coming, and it's here to remind us it's a wonderful light. It's... you're alive. Let's move on to a hundred-word story. 
Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Try writing one. It's quick and fun. Post yours in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org in the Drabble section. We might pick yours to run on the show. This week's Drabble is called A Frosty Demise, and it comes to us from longtime Drabblecast fan and fantastic member of Team Drabble internally, Zimmerman Bledsoe. Zim puts together our monthly newsletter and does a hell of a job, I think. What's that? Drabblecast has a monthly newsletter, you say? Well, we sure do, folks. Go to our website at drabblecast.org and sign up there. It's got good stuff. Updates, teasers, drabbles, fan art, a Drabblecast crossword puzzle. You know, Drabblecast stuff. Zim works hard. Anyways, on with a Drabble. A Frosty Demise by Zimmerman Bledsoe. As death appeared over the hills of snow, the old man's smile fell away. The end was near. His posture cantered to one side, weighed down by a scarf that had now frozen solid around his neck. What senseless meaning lay behind this existence, he pondered. What maker gave life only to have me watch it melt away all alone? His face began to glisten and droop in the noonday sun. If winter is the end, then what is the beginning? As his silk hat fell away, he hoped and he prayed that he'd be back again someday. Ho, ho, hopeless. Baby, it's cold outside indeed. Man, glad to bring you guys down from all that holiday cheer out there. It was a little bit, a little bit much this year, you know? Got to bring it back down. Got work in the morning. Anyways, for our feature story this week, as is the tradition here at the old DC, we bring you an original Drabblecast-commissioned holiday story by Tim Pratt. Tim's the author of over 20 novels, including Heirs of Grace and forthcoming space opera The Wrong Stars. His short fiction has appeared in The Best American Short Stories, The Year's Best Fantasy, The Mammoth Book of Best New Horror, and other nice places, like The Drabblecast. He's a Hugo Award winner and has been a finalist for World Fantasy, Sturgeon, Stoker, and Nebula Awards, among others. He lives in Berkeley, California, and works as a senior editor at Locus, a trade magazine devoted to science fiction and fantasy publishing. For more than two years, he's been publishing a new story every month, by the way, for supporters at his Patreon, patreon.com slash Tim Pratt. I'm a subscriber. It's worth it. You should do it, too. And cool thing about this particular story, folks, it actually brings back into play a couple characters from a previous Tim Pratt Travelcast Holiday Commission, a story called Happy Old Year, back in December of 2013. If you remember that story I'm talking about, that means you have a hell of a good memory for titles, and you won't be able to forget good old Elsie. That's episode 308, if you want to go back and check it out. Otherwise, keep tuned. We're going to run it in early January as that month's Drabble Classics episode, brought to you again by Zimmerman Bledsoe. For now, though, without further ado, we bring you Dirty Santa by Tim Pratt. Kieran Wallflowered, 
The apartment was a bustle of twenty other people more extroverted and festive than himself, all dressed in the requisite hideous holiday sweaters, drinking bourbon punch and rum punch and some sort of strange vegan eggnog, flirting and joking and ranting and, in one case, openly making out against a wall underneath a dangling branch of mistletoe. The ones making out were the hosts, Kieran's ex-girlfriend, Mia, and her partner, Josie. Except Mia probably didn't even think of Kieran as an ex, since they'd only gone on three dates and had sex exactly once, an experience that had ended with Kieran mumbling, "'It'll be better next time, when I'm not so nervous about being with someone new,' a promise he'd never had the opportunity to fulfill." They'd decided, that is, Mia had decided, that they were better as friends, and Kieran always accepted the invitation to her annual ugly sweater, dirty Santa party because he did like being friends, and also because of a compulsion to pick the emotional scab by watching her be happy without him. He sipped his bourbon cider punch and looked around for someone he wanted to talk to, but the only people he recognized were art nerds that he didn't particularly like. Mia's friends were local art people, and Josie's friends were shiny tech company people, and Kieran was halfway in between, day-jobbing with unsexy legacy infrastructure programming and making found object sculpture in his free time, art that might as well have stayed lost for how much attention it got. At least his tiny gallery appearances gave him some cool photos to put in his dating profile to offset the whole thinning hair and approaching 30 issues. He'd met Mia at a First Friday Art Walk event in Oakland a few years before. She made weird sculptures and jewelry that looked like murderous alien sea creatures, and they'd hit it off by making fun of soulless tourist bait art kitsch together. It turned out mutual snark wasn't a sufficient basis for a relationship, but it was just barely enough for a friendship. A woman came weaving through the party toward Kieran, wearing a green sweater with an enormous reindeer head on the front, antlers spreading out on either side and disappearing into her armpits. The reindeer wasn't very festive, no red and white striped scarf, no ornaments dangling from its antlers, and had a strangely direct black-eyed stare. Under the baggy sweater she wore a red velvet miniskirt and sparkly stockings and heels, and she had great legs. Kieran remembered to look at her face and realized she was older than average for the party, probably closer to forty than he was to thirty, but she was pretty, with long red hair, vivid red lipstick to match, teeth shining in a smile. "'Dave!' she shouted as she drew near. "'It's so great to see you again!' She kissed him on the cheek, and she smelled like vanilla. That was the scent Mia wore most of the time, too." I, uh, think you think I'm someone else. My name's Kieran. Oh, that's fine. I'm not picky. What matters is we're reindeer buddies. She poked him in the stomach, a little too hard, right on the bright red nose of his Rudolph sweater. I'm Elsie. She stood beside him, shoulder to shoulder, back against the wall, and surveyed the party. Well, this is fun. This is nice. What did you bring for the swap? She gestured to the silver and white Christmas tree in the corner and the pile of gifts underneath. You couldn't come to the party unless you brought a wrapped gift for the dirty Santa exchange. 
Kieran had grown up calling such events Yankee swaps or white elephant parties, and when he first got invited to a dirty Santa party, he'd expected something more salacious. But it was just the same thing under a different name. People took turns, and each would either choose a new gift to unwrap or steal an existing gift from someone else, making them unwrap a new gift instead. Some parties had house rules to mitigate the fundamental unfairness of the game. The first person had too few options, the last person had too many, with restrictions on how many times gifts could be stolen and other limits. But Mia's ugly sweater, dirty Santa party was pretty much a red and green, in tooth and claw, gift-stealing frenzy. I, uh, found this hideous, cheap, remote-controlled toy rat on the bottom shelf of a discount store the week after Halloween. I snatched it up with this party in mind, Kieran said. How about you? Wow, you must really look forward to this party if you're looking for a gift six weeks in advance. I mean, well, it's always really fun and funny, so sure I do. How do you know Mia or Josie? Kieran didn't think she looked like a programmer or an artist, but she could be a rich art collector out slumming, he supposed. You asked what I brought for the swap. She clinked her cup against his. I brought a delicate glass ornament full of magic. It contains a Christmas wish, or possibly a lot of wishes, if they're small. It's like, you know how if you have a few yards of material, you can make one big dress or a whole lot of little handkerchiefs? It's like that. She stepped away from the wall, spun on her heel, and faced him. The colorful ornaments dangling from the antlers of the reindeer on her sweater seemed to sway, but surely that was an optical illusion. Wait, had those ornaments been there before? I like you, Dave. We're reindeer buddies, so let me tell you. Pick the gift wrapped in midnight purple paper speckled with little stars. That's the bauble. That's the ball of miracles. Kieran looked past her at nobody. I... I see somebody I need to talk to. Sorry. It was nice meeting you. Uh, Elsie, you don't believe me, do you? That's okay. Like Josie would say, your disbelief, that's expected product behavior. Take my hand. No? Okay, I'll just take yours then. She grabbed his hand and then flung her other hand, the one holding her cup, high in the air. Kieran expected booze to fly up out of the cup, but instead glitter flew out, red and green sparkles showering down around them, actually showering all over the room like it had been hidden in the ceiling, drifting slowly, 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 until finally some of the glitter just hung suspended, unmoving. At the same time, the big band-era Christmas music playing slowed too, the singer's voice stretching and distorting, and then falling silent. Everyone in the room slowed and went still as well, frozen in place like they were playing a game of statues. Elsie let go of Kieran's hand and did a little pirouette, and when she faced him, the reindeer on her sweater had Christmas lights wound around its antlers, real ones that blinked red and green and blue, but its eyes were still black and blank. See? Magic. The existence of one particular form of magic doesn't necessarily imply the existence of other forms, admittedly, but I'm trustworthy, so believe me when I say, choose the gift wrapped in dark purple, and you can make wishes come true. This, what, I cogently argued. Elsie walked over to Mia and Josie, who were still embraced under the mistletoe. There's some solid tongue work happening over here. Caught them right in mid-French. Did you want to cop a feel? They'll never know, so you could argue it's a victimless crime. What? 
No, that's horrible. He looked around at the still, silent people, with no choice but to believe his senses. Elsie shrugged. Sure, there's a sliding scale of horrible, but that's definitely somewhere on it. What if you could wish for Mia to fall in love with you, though? That, that would be also horrible. It would be like mind control, coercion. Mia loving him would be wonderful. Mia forced to love him would be awful. Elsie nodded. See, I could tell you were a good kid. That's why I singled you out, even though originally my plan was to go full random with the bobble and see what would happen. Fortunately, I'm never one to stick to a plan just for the sake of consistency. She spun back to him and said, Purple paper. Elsie disappeared deeper into the party. The music came back, the glitter shimmered and vanished, and everyone was laughing and talking again. Kieran leaned back against the wall and shivered. Either he was having some kind of psychotic break, or, uh, what, a witch? Sorceress? Had just stopped time. He looked down into his cup and saw glittering flecks sparkle on the surface, red and green. Third possibility. Had she dosed him with something? He'd done acid and shrooms plenty of times, but this didn't feel like either of those. But it would explain the distorted sense of time. Sort of. Mia clapped her hands. It's dirty Santa time! Her sweater was covered in cavorting, vaguely sinister elves, and was at least three sizes too big. Someone turned the music down, and everyone drifted toward the tree, gathering in a loose semicircle on beanbags, folding chairs, the love seat, and the floor. Elsie was near the front, seated cross-legged on the floor and gazing up at the tree, which was topped with a shimmering jellyfish instead of an angel or a star. Kieran considered bolting for the door, but that would be hard to explain, so he settled down on the edge of the coffee table instead, near the back of the crowd. Mia stood up by the tree and pointed at people in no particular order, shouting numbers 2 to 21. Kieran got 13. Elsie was 14. She turned around and grinned at him. The games began. I'm the host, so I'll take the hit and go first. Mia picked up a bulky package wrapped in light blue baby shower paper and tore it gleefully open. A partially deflated volleyball! She held the gift aloft like the head of a vanquished enemy. Number two, do you want to steal my bounty? I don't want to be known as number two, especially, and no, I'll pass. That was Taylor, a dapper Enby, who made handmade books of exceptional beauty, and he picked up a package wrapped in yards of gold ribbon. He tore it open and showed off the package, a silver cylinder in clear plastic packaging. Look, a personal shaver specially designed for pubic hair. Marco will love that, someone shouted, and everyone laughed. Mia said, number three, pick or steal. The rounds continued, with gifts opened and gifts stolen with great energy and mirth. There were shot glasses featuring Ruth Bader Ginsburg's face, stolen twice, a tiny book of dirty limericks, a two-foot-tall nutcracker painted to look like a rotting zombie with walnut brains taped to its hands, dirty socks, a ten-dollar Applebee's gift card, a dildo shaped like a candy cane, stolen three times, a Funko Pop figurine of George R. R. Martin, packets of edible marijuana-infused lube, a huge bag of that horrible circus peanut candy, a seed of Christmas carols composed of cat meows and dog barks, stolen once, and he was welcome to it. And then it was Kieran's turn. People moved aside to let him approach the tree and consider the dwindling heap of presents underneath. 
He picked the package right away, nestled unobtrusively, as Elsie had described it, a spheroid of crinkled paper, so purple it was nearly black, with little specks of white that could have been stars. He considered reaching for something else, but was he that big of a coward? Kieran picked up the package, turned to face the crowd, and tore off the paper. There was a clear glass Christmas ornament inside, filled by a soft glow of pale yellow light, and he held it up. It's a shiny thing, he declared to a few chuckles. That's pretty. Is it LED lights or something? Mia looked around the crowd, but no one claimed knowledge or ownership. Kieran glanced at Elsie, who grinned up at him. The reindeer on her shirt was grinning now, too. Mia shrugged and said, Steel or open, number 14? Elsie stole up. Steel, of course, always steel. Kieran was still standing by the tree, and she stepped towards him, reaching for the bauble to his confusion. Hadn't she wanted him to have it? Was she just messing with him? Instead of taking the bauble, she pressed her hands against Kieran's, pushing his palms together hard with the ornament between them. He gasped, expecting shards of glass to stab his hands, but instead it popped like a soap bubble, the warmth and tingling spread through his hands and then through his body, and, "'Holy shit, he's glowing,' Taylor said, pointing. Kieran looked down at his hands, and the bauble was gone, but his skin was glowing with the same pale yellow light. He looked at Elsie. "'I... do I... get a wish now?' She wrinkled her nose at him. There was a reindeer skull on her sweater now, antlers white and bare. What? No, Santa Claus doesn't get Christmas gifts. He gives them. You grant wishes, dirty Santa. You don't receive them. Everyone gaped at him, and some of them moved away. Mia reached out, hesitant, and touched his glowing hand. And suddenly the room vanished, and he found himself seated on a throne of wood and antlers in a dark cavern lit by distant torches. Mia was sitting in his lap, but not in the way he reminisced about so often, full of snuggly third-date affection. She was glassy-eyed now, and her voice was vague and far away. "'I wish his gallery would burn down,' she whispered. He stole my designs and made so much money. I wish he'd lose everything. Something stirred inside Kieran, and light swirled out from his fingertips, and he felt somehow diminished. Then he was back in her apartment, back at the party, and Mia staggered away. What the hell was that? Where were we? You disappeared, someone shouted. What the fuck? You both vanished, and then you poofed right back. She got a Christmas wish, Elsie said. A dirty one. Who's next? She gestured to Kieran. Step right up. He's your sugar plum fairy godmother. Somewhere outside, sirens began to wail. Where was the gallery Mia had wanted burned? Was it near here? Kieran stared down at his glowing hands. Elsie spun toward Taylor, grabbed him by the arm, and flung him into Kieran, who lifted his hands to fend him off. They crashed together, and Kieran was back in the cavern, Taylor on his lap. I wish... I wish Marco would cheat on me so I could break up with him and still have the moral high ground, Taylor mumbled. Another swirl of light, and that sense of diminishment again, and then the party was back, and Taylor was stumbling away, shaking his head and looking confused. 
Taylor's boyfriend, Marco, wearing a sweater with an antic snowman on the front, pushed a techie guy Kieran didn't know up against the wall and began making out with him. Taylor started screaming at Marco. Mia stood staring out the window as sirens wailed. Some guests were shoving against the front door, trying to get out, but it wouldn't open. Elsie did pirouettes in the middle of the party, calling out, "'Who's next? All your dirtiest, darkest wishes can come true. There's plenty of magic left in our jolly old elf. Your wishes are all so small.' She grabbed hold of another party-goer and tried to swing her toward Kieran, but he sidestepped, reached out, and grabbed hold of Elsie's arm instead. He was in the cavern again, on the throne, with Elsie on his lap. She looked around, barked a harsh laugh, and then put her arms around his neck and snuggled close, wiggling her warm ass into his lap. "'All this just to have a moment alone with me? All you had to do was ask, Dave.' Why are you doing this? he said. Everybody has to do something. Why not this? Besides, I'm not the one making the wishes. You and me, we're just making dreams come true. Terrible dreams? Well, it is a dirty Santa party. I'm just trying to be thematic. Besides, secret wishes are more interesting than the ones people admit to in public. Just because someone has a, a bad impulse, a dark thought, it doesn't mean they really want the bad thing to happen. If you give people the opportunity to do something horrible without facing the consequences, most of them will say yes. People are only nice instead of naughty because they don't want to get on the naughty list. Or, you know, go to jail or whatever. You're a good person, so boring. But that makes you a little blind to how good everybody else isn't. Come on, let's get back to the party. You know someone in there wishes somebody was dead, and that's like half a Christmas miracle right there. It's only missing the resurrection part. She started to slide off his lap, but he grabbed onto her, seizing her wrists. Stop, he said. What's your wish? <laughs> I don't have secret thoughts. I claim my dirty wishes proudly. She started to pull away, but somehow she couldn't. She frowned and pulled harder, but Kieran felt a strange, terrible strength within him. This cavern, it wasn't a place, not really. It was the manifestation of a bargain, a transaction, and it had to be fulfilled. Elsie had magic. She'd unleashed this magic, but magic had its own requirements, and they bound her as much as him. Holding on to a lady against her wishes isn't very woke, you know. The reindeer on Elsie's sweater snarled and snapped its skeletal jaws. You have to make a wish. Kieran felt the truth within him. We can't leave here until you tell me what you want, what you really want. Ugh, I will not be a Christmas miracle. My heart will not grow three sizes this day. I will not have an epiphany three weeks before epiphany, damn it. She struggled without success. Kieran spoke softly. Just tell me, what's your secret wish, the desire you can't even admit to yourself? Light crawled out of Kieran's hands, onto Elsie, swirling around her wrists like manacles. She howled and shook her head back and forth, long red hair whipping around, lashing Kieran in the face, and then she stared into his eyes, her gaze empty. She parted her lips. She licked them. She said, I just want to feel something. 
Everything flowed out of Kieran then. He was hollowed, he was cored, he was emptied of light. The cavern vanished and he was back in Mia's apartment, sitting on the floor, and Elsie was beside him, sprawled half across his lap, her arms clutching him around the waist as she wept, sobbed, and pressed her face against his chest. The front door popped open and most of the party streamed out. Kieran didn't know what to do, so he just said, Shh, it'll be okay. Elsie sat up, wiping at her eyes, and turned her red-rimmed gaze on him. The reindeer on her sweater was crying, too. That didn't go the way I'd expected. I was hoping for a little light entertainment, maybe a minor Christmas cataclysm at best, and instead I got... I don't know what. I, feelings. This is such a stupid, sentimental holiday. Who are you? Kieran said. What are you? She pushed tear-dampened hair out of her face. I used to be a woman. Then I became something else. I didn't think I'd lost anything on the way to becoming something else. I thought I'd only gained. But maybe I was wrong. Okay, Kieran, you can have a wish. Not even a dirty one. Just don't say peace on earth. Kieran looked at Mia, who was staring dazed at her empty apartment. Josie was standing against the wall, hugging herself and shivering, and Marco was curled up in a corner, sobbing. Can I wish for peace in this room, at least, to undo what happened tonight? Elsie kissed him on the nose. You are so good, Kieran. Good as gold. These idiots are lucky to have you. His vision filled with shimmering glitter, and then he was back, standing against the wall, cup in hand, the party rewound to the moment before he met Elsie. He looked around, but didn't see her. He walked over to the tree, and the black package was still there, just as before. When his turn came up in the dirty Santa exchange, he picked up the midnight purple gift, expecting to find an empty glass ball or a bundle of shards, but the package was much heavier than before, probably five or six pounds. When he unwrapped it, he found a golden apple with the letter K scratched on one side. I got gold, he said. But, uh, no frankincense or myrrh. Is that plastic? Mia asked. He hefted the apple. I mean, it's pretty heavy. If the apple was really solid gold, and why wouldn't it be? Then it was probably worth six figures, life-changing money. He squeezed the apple between his hands. A Christmas miracle. Of course, the next person in line stole the apple from him. But as Kieran thought, it's the thought that counts. What a bundle of holiday cheer that was. What would you ask for, little boy? It makes one wonder what your deepest subconscious desires might be. If someone scanned a desire detector, beep, 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 over your face, you know, kind of like a coronavirus screening temperature scan, what would they find? It's a fun game, dreaming up all the things that you might want and how they might go terribly, terribly wrong. I want to lose eight pounds fast! Sure, sure, but we're 
chopping off your arm to do it. Nothing like amputating a limb real quick to give you that perfect holiday figure. Oh, I want to cheat on my wife with my hot blonde co-worker. Go for it. I mean, it'll be mediocre sex as she sprawls out like a dispassionate starfish while you desperately try to get it up and you'll realize maybe this wasn't the greatest idea, but your wife will find out anyways and put you on the street and how about that? You just lost your job, so you move in with your parents who have refashioned your bedroom into a crafting room and you desperately scour ads for a job and just goddammit if you had only kept your nose down you would be celebrating with Christmas with Rhonda and the kids, sipping coffee out of a new Baby Yoda mug, you know, the one that Timmy got you, instead of crying yourself to sleep on an air mattress next to a stack of your mother's quilting supplies. Anyway, ever since I heard about Elsie in Tim's original story, Happy Old Year, I have loved this character. Might I suggest a comeback later in the year? Um, maybe some other holiday nonsense for Elsie? What about Elsie approaching stressed-out parents at an Easter egg hunt, bent on resurrecting their relationship? Or maybe teaching a green beer-guzzling frat boy the true meaning of St. Patrick's Day? It's all in the spirit of the holidays. Anyway, y'all, it's Christmas. I'm gonna party like it's Jesus's birthday, and my birthday, because December 25th is my birthday. Uh, my favorite part as a kid was always going to my grandparents' house, and I would watch from afar as one of my uncles laughed, Who brought a birthday cake, and whose birthday is it? And then they actively would cut themselves a slice. And I would stare at my uncle in silent protest as my family sang happy birthday around a cake that was obviously missing a massive hunk. Happy 8th birthday, Avery. Anyway... This was Avery, and I hope you have a super-duper Christmas. Best wishes to you and your family, and let's uh, give a little chant to the Elder Gods that 2021 is going to be a little bit better than 2020. Happy Holidays. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.